Welcome to Fringe Division. Welcome to Fringe Division, a spoiler-free rewatch podcast of the hit TV show Fringe. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Martin. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 9, The Dreamscape, which aired on November 25th, 2008 on Fox. It was written by Zach Whedon and Julia Cho and directed by Frederick E.O. Toy. So this is Zach Whedon's first episode as a writer on Fringe, and it's Julia Cho's second. It is um, Frederick E.O. Toy's second episode as director of the show after um, The Ghost Network. So, what had Zach Whedon written before? I don't know. Because this is just after Doctor Horrible, isn't it? But I think he had a bit of a a bit of a CV already. I think so, but he also went on to do Dollhouse, which yeah. is re-established as around which the same is time pure as pure nepotism for you. Yeah, exactly. So, Martin, what did you think of the Dreamscape? It was all right. We've had worse. We've had better. Yeah. Is is that? Is that it? I mean, that's fair enough. Um, that's that. You know, it's precise. It's to the point. But you know, I was expecting you to say a little bit more. I like that we went into a bit more detail of our, like our characters yeah. and whatnot than we did in the earlier episodes, where it was more episode of a week. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. I was going to note that I know this is only episode nine, but the characters seem like themselves in this episode. It felt like. Uh, there was a bit more going on below the surface than, like, say, episode four, where it was the guy with the weird future gun. Yeah. I mean, I edited the the podcast for episode five the other day uh, because we record these way in advance. And What? Yes, we do. <laughs> what, didn't you know? Why did you make me get up so early, then? <laughs> oh, I like the little tea set there. <laughs> That's staying in. Uh... <laughs> I was editing episode five, and in that episode, we both said that the characters weren't written very well. It was strange that they were sort of, by episode five, they didn't seem the same, and Walter wasn't funny. Do you remember? Yes. That was the episode where Walter didn't say anything amusing, because you even used, your Walter line of the week was um, a noise that Walter made. Mm. I think this is the opposite of that. I quite liked this episode. Of all the episodes we've had so far, this one's definitely somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Of all the episodes we've had so far, this episode is certainly not the worst. Let's get into the plot, Martin. Hooray! Massive dynamic executive Mark Young delivers a presentation at the company's Manhattan office. When he is done and the other attendees have left, he sees an unusual butterfly. Upon picking it up, he experiences a cut on his hand and is then attacked by a swarm. Mark jumps out of a window to his death. And does his best impression of Alan Rickman from the end of Die Hard. Exactly, yeah. This is a really good opening scene. Yeah. This show is so bloody good at opening scenes. Sometimes. Well, there's been like one that we haven't really liked that much, and that's the one where the dude dies and, um, well, 
collapses in uh, Broyles' office. Even that had a horrible, like, worm thing round the guy's heart at the end of it. So there was still something redeeming about it. But usually the opening scenes are really good. Yeah. Um, but this one was just, what the fuck is happening here? This is one I definitely went back to and looked at for ideas for a short film I didn't make. No. Yeah, this one stuck in my head. This is, I remember this one. I don't remember much of the episode, but obviously I do because I watched it yesterday. But before this, I didn't remember much of the episode apart from that opening scene. It's definitely a clever um, red herring where you're like, oh, they're going to be after scary butterflies. Ooh. Yeah, and it's the scary butterflies like the ones that are in the, the glyphs. With, yes. With um, the bony, with bones sticking out of the bony bones. I do like, though, that for a, a network TV show, it actually shows you the impact of them hitting the car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's none of this um, pussyfooting on about it. This guy dies by hitting the car. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And obviously, I mean, that was a good way to show where we were. Yeah. And um, they were on Bell Street, which I don't know if that will come back. We already know where your Bell exists um, in this universe, because it's been mentioned a few times. If Bell Street could talk. Oh, exactly. Olivia Dunham, despite preparing to go out to dinner with her sister, instead agrees to Philip Broyles' demand that... Demand... That um, she joined the French team's investigation. It was quite episode. demanding. It was quite demanding. And Olivia was, you know, she wanted to go out. Yeah. She was all dressed up, wanted to go out in the town, and then Broyles goes and messes it up. And then he goes and spoils it all by saying something stupid like, go to Manhattan and solve a murder. Yeah. I always thought that that song was quite strange. Well, that's because you've never been in the awkward position of uh, being the first one to say I love you in a relationship. No, I'm talking about the fact that Frank Sinatra and his daughter sang that song. That's pretty strange too. Yeah, but thinking about it, they're they're not really singing to each other. She's singing with him. Mm. They're singing at the same time. Do you know? Whereas it's, it's not a duet in the way that he sings and then she sings. They're both singing at the exact same time. So it's like both sides of the one person singing. And yet still less weird than these boots are made for walking. This is true. This is true. Um, while examining the body, Dr. Walter Bishop sees last... Oh, ah, fuck me. No, thank ah. you. No, no thank you. Um, while examining the body, Dr. Walter Bishop sees lacerations on Young's skin and notes the lack of corresponding tears on his shirt. At the scene, Olivia has a brief vision of her deceased lover, John Scott, watching them, um, which troubles her. It would trouble you, to be fair. It really would. Because he does that weird movie thing where someone walks past and he's vanished. Mm. (laughs) Something goes past your line of vision and he's no longer there. That annoys me in films. Too, right? Usually it's if a bus goes past and the person is not, no longer there. Mm. You can pull it. Usually in that sort of circumstance, though, if that happens, if you're across the street, like what happens in some movies, and you see someone, and then the bus goes past, and then they've disappeared, just run across the road and nip into the shop. They're there. They're probably hiding in the shop. But, you it's know. usually the way. Yeah, but that never happens. 
I'm going to sneeze. I'm, a sneeze is brewing. Ooh. And it's not happening. And it's annoying. No. It's not what you want. It's not. <laughs> Later in the lab at Harvard, Walter's autopsy reveals a synthetic compound in Mark's blood, though any link to the cuts is not yet known to them. Olivia receives an email from someone who claims to be John Scott, listing an address for her to visit. Upon arriving, she finds boxes, one of which contains a group of toads. Ah, that was a weird scene. Weird to me. I'm still waiting on a sneeze coming, Martin. I'm still waiting to find a way to say mad as a box of frogs. Yeah, but you can't because they're not frogs, they're toads. No, they said frogs. Yeah, she said frogs, but then she was corrected and it's toads. Yeah, but Walter, he's pretty crazy. He is. He is. But I think he can tell the difference between frogs and toads. I can't. Olivia can't. Can you? Um, toads don't jump. Well, what? Yeah, only fr- only frogs. Only frogs jump. Right, okay. That's that's because they're the only ones that are small enough to fit on pogo sticks. Yes. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I'm going to sneeze. Come on. Get on with it. I know. Fucking hell. It's like brewing behind the nose and it's not happening. I'm keeping all that in. That's going to be the most exciting part of this podcast. Is whether or not Jimmy's going to sneeze all over his microphone. Right. <laughs> At the lab, Walter finds that the toads contain a psychoactive compound, a hallucinogen that affects the fear centre of the brain. They conclude that Mark's brain was so convinced of something happening to his body that actual physical marks appeared. Mark was infected with a large dosage, um, leading them to attribute his death to murder. So, Martin, as our resident scientist here... We set such a low bar. I know. Do you think this is possible? Um, it's just about sounds right just enough to work for a TV show, I'd say. Right. You know, it's not so off the wall that you're like, that's ridiculous. But it's also not so, it's not also the sort of thing you'd see happening every day. No. And also our brains are quite weird. I know yours is. Yeah! Got me! You got me! Ha ha! I'm still waiting on the sneeze coming. Olivia admits to Walter how she found the address and learns that her brain still contains some of John's memories. Wishing to discover what else John knew and prevent any further visions from occurring, Olivia insists on returning to Walter's sensory deprivation tank. Remember that from the first episode, folks. Yes, I do. Good, you've got a good memory then, Martin. Thank you. Inside the tank, Olivia sees a memory of John in a restaurant. Despite Walter's protest that it is impossible, Olivia is convinced that John Scott saw her, which he did. He did. He sent an email to say so. Exactly. But it was obviously quite obvious at the time. Yes. Obviously quite obvious at the time. It's Sunday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) It's not usually the time I record. My brain not working too good. <laughs> right. It's working more than yours, though, because I'm the only one talking. But hey. I'm sorry, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Afterward, she sees John meeting with Mark and two other unidentified men. 
After Mark and another man leave, John kills the other man. Ah, oh, John! I know, you bastard! Olivia believes the group were looking to sell the compound as a street drug, and she's able to track down the other man, George Morales. I did, I did, I did like this whole dream dream thing. I was a bit sceptical at first, but I thought it was quite good how they pulled it off, and that moment where he looks at her was legit creepy. Mm-hmm. Like, if there was... Like, it must be hard if you're an actor to uh, pretend you can't see someone like that. And then, if you ever were in a sensory deprivation tank in someone else's memories, and they did, you know, suddenly acknowledge you, it would creep you the fuck out. It would. It was It was well done. Um, he does have a kind of creepy smile anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Valley, so it did work. Did we decide gave... did we decide if he'd been in much else? Um well, I don't think we spoke about it. Mm. But he was the lead in the DC show uh what was it called? <sighs> Something Target. I can't remember the name of it. But he was in that for two seasons and then the show got cancelled. Moving Target, I think. No, I didn't see it. Anyway, it was based on a DC comic. Ooh. Um, so he was in that, but I don't think he's been in much since. Right, I've got a couple of notes here. Yes. Yeah, about the uh, Olivia going into the tank. It's not shot the same way as it was in the first episode. Well, no, they don't have as much money to throw around now, do they? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it's not... They don't linger on our body as much as they did in the first episode. No. Here, it's just... She's wearing something, she takes it off briefly, and then she goes into the tank. Whereas in the first episode, there was like a big, long, lingering shot of her getting undressed. Mm. When Olivia says that she doesn't see anything and Walter turns the dial, the subtitles in the Blu-ray says um, she needs a passageway, but he doesn't actually say that, Ooh. but it's in the subtitles. Yeah, they leave little things on like that sometimes if they're working from a script or what have you. Yeah, so that must have been in the original script. But, however, this this sort of goes against that, unless this was a different line. Mm. But um, George in The Memory says, do this um, do this one thing and then it's hasta luego, or hasta luego, right? That's what he says. Mm. But the subtitle says, what did I tell you? I don't mess around. I'm so glad you have the subtitles on when you watch this, because I wouldn't know when to look. Yeah, and then that because that makes no sense because he says hasta luego to Olivia over the phone, which is how she recognises the voice. Yeah, but according to the subtitles, it's because she recognises him saying "I don't mess around." He says instead of saying hasta luego, which means bye. Hmm. Um, the last thing he says to her on the phone is "I don't mess around," which makes zero sense. <laughs> As you'll recognise from his Highlander accent, Jimmy is our resident Spaniard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well done. George Morales. Remember him? He's one uh, of the Spider-Mans, isn't he? Yeah. No, it's his uncle, Miles, is the Spider-Man. Um, once apprehended, he denies killing Mark and demands immunity and protection from... Uh, massive dynamic, who he believes was responsible for Mark's death, as well as other recent fringe events. 
this was a cool, like, you know, we've sort of talked about twists that don't work. This, uh-huh. you know, you don't see it coming, but when it's revealed, you realise it was, everything was leading up to it the whole time. And it's the first time we've sort of really seen Massive Dynamic really be up to no good rather than just it being really unsubtly inferred. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of feels like we're starting to move out of the first act of this story now. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas we complained in the first few episodes how it very much felt like a holding pattern. Yeah. Things are moving along slowly, and we don't really know where that it's going. Well, you do, but my memory's shit, so. Olivia confronts Nina Sharp. Remember Nina Sharp? Nina Sharp! She's in this again. Yeah, she's back here. Um, about her suspicions, but George is murdered before he can be of further help to them. So, I really liked his death scene. Yes. Uh, that was really well done. Uh, because, well, so you can actually say something, Martin. Do you want to explain to the people what happens to George? Oh, I don't watch the show. I just try and blag my way through it because Jimmy said he wanted someone to do a podcast with. Just read my thoughts, Martin. Read my thoughts. The uh, massive dynamic. They did get to him and they slipped him this drug, which made his worst fear of John Scott coming to kill him come real. Mm Mm-hmm. And how does it happen? <laughs> With a knife. <laughs> did you actually... Did you really watch this? He stabs him. <laughs> and then the nurse walks in and is all like, oh no. He slits his throat. Yeah, with a knife. Yeah, but the way it happens is, because we know now that this is a drug that's happening, it's not actually John Scott that's there. John Scott is shot in a different way from everything else. Yeah, he's overexposed. So that's how we know that it's not real. Yeah. Which is good. Also, the fact that John Scott is dead. Well, yeah, but all this stuff with Olivia, getting emails and stuff like that, the show is trying to make you think maybe John Scott is still alive. Oh, he might be. Exactly. But this, this doesn't. I like the fact that this doesn't say, yes, he is, or maybe he is. It's it's still saying this is in George's head. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if they ever spell out um, how Olivia got to the box of frogs. Because, well, no, because in the other episode, it was like, oh, Olivia did a mind meld and now she's remembering his things. And this is how they're, um, you know, forming themselves. But, yeah, maybe it was that. It's very Star Trek free. <laughs> Remember. <laughs> But the um the point is whether it is John Scott or not, someone gave her the address. Yes. To find the toads. That's the mystery there is is he alive? Is it him that's doing it? Is it someone else that's doing it? But I liked George's death didn't definitively say, Yes, he's alive or make you think, Oh, maybe he's still alive because of the way John Scott was shot. Yeah. In that scene. It was like, No, this isn't him. So Quite. Yes. Uh, later that night, Olivia gets another email from quote-unquote John Scott simply saying, I saw you in the restaurant. Oh, which was in the memories. Exactly. Right, so 
don't know why I shouted that. Exactly! Fucking hell! <laughs> so this is what the um, the Wikipedia entry says uh, about the Peter storyline after the, the episode's finished, but then to sort of put this at the end. Meanwhile, Peter is contacted by Tess, a woman from his past who warns him to leave Boston. When he meets her, Peter insults, insults, intuits that... Um, She's been abused by her boyfriend, Michael. He ambushes Michael and warns her not to touch Tess again. Michael then informs local crime boss, Worth, um, that Peter is back in town. That's it. And he's saying, oh, break his legs, which I'm sure... You know when they do ride-alongs with policemen for police TV shows? I reckon the writers mm. of Fringe did a ride-along with a mob boss to get this sort of accurate portrayal. <laughs> <laughs> Or they just watched the movie Mickey Blue Eyes. Exactly. So I have I have a couple of notes. <gasps> I know. Uh I like during the scene where Astrid and uh, Walter and Olivia are all talking about uh some shit. Yeah, Astrid uh sort of takes control of Walter's mood a little bit hmm. because he snaps at Olivia and it's Astrid who placates him because she says, no, no, you, that was me you told that to earlier. Yeah, they've sort of changed the dynamic around again. Yeah. Not massively. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, but I do like that it's not only giving Astrid something to do, but it's making her more useful. Not just standing there. Yeah, exactly. Because she knows how to handle Walter. And mm. especially considering what Walter did to her a few episodes ago. She'd need you know? to know how to handle him, handle him, obviously. Yeah, and also how to avoid like getting stabbed in the neck with needles and stuff. Yes. I quite like badass Peter, by the way. I like it when Peter's beating someone up. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm just so not interested in any of his storyline, if I'm honest. It's like... Yeah, I don't, I don't care about this at all, like... Like, in the pilot, they set him up as being a real Dell boy, and... Mm. Always sort of trying to, you know, he's always on the make and got plans going on and he's a bit of a Danny Ocean wannabe. And then they just make him someone who had a run-in with the mob and it's like, uh, that's a bit of a come down after, you know, a much more promising character introduction. But that doesn't mean to say that that's all he's done, though. It, that... The running with the mob could be part of his wheelings and dealings. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that the only thing he's ever done is had a running with the mob. Um, but I do... I like this in a way because it means that um, he's not just the Walter Whisperer. Yeah. In this episode. He's barely with the rest of the team in this episode. Because that gives Astrid the, the Walter Whispering part to do. Which is really good. Yeah. Um... So, do you have a, a Walter line of the week? There, there were a couple, but do you have one? Yeah, but I'm really embarrassed. Is it erection one? Yeah, because yeah, that would get him. <laughs> that would get him hashtag me too right yeah. out of there these days. <laughs> um, I just got an erection. Oh, fear not! Right. It's nothing to do. With, it's nothing to do with your state of undress. I think it's. I think I simply need to urinate. Is what I wrote down for Walter. That's the first time we've picked the same one. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so, on the one hand, that is kind of sweet in a way. Um, because no. he's, well, he's telling Olivia that he's not interested in the way she's dressed. Like, he's not, he's, he's trying to, in, in his own way, he's trying to say, it's okay, I'm not, I don't have an erection because you're sitting there in your skivvies. But it's still quite gross because of the way it's been said and the way it's, um, well, not the way it's been said, but because of the, why it's been said. Yes. Yes. But he's still trying to be, like, he's still being nice in the respect that he is assuring her he is not like this because um, of her. Yes. Um, so I don't know about you, Martin. You and I are both men, right? Yes. I don't know about you, but one of the ways that I know I need to pee is not getting a stiffy. Um, and that's not an, actually an ideal state to urinate in. So I don't understand that point of the line. But it still made me laugh. Good. So, yes. Okay. So, the Observer was in this episode, Martin? Yes, I saw him. Why don't you tell everyone where he was? <laughs> <laughs> and that is Martin's speak part. I didn't see him at all. Please tell me. Um, He is right at the very beginning when Mark comes out of the elevator. He's standing right at the very end of the hall. In the very first scene. Huh. The clue for this week's episode was in last week's episode. You can see a like a stencil sort of thing of a butterfly on a white trash can on last week's episode. Oh. So, yeah, I'm looking at a picture of it just now. Olivia's, I think it's Olivia? It's just someone standing on the phone. And in the background, there's a white trash can and you see a big, large butterfly sort of stenciled on it. The plane ticket Olivia Dunham finds in Mark Young's apartment is for a flight on Oceanic Air. Which is oh, a reference, no. reference to Lost, uh, Martin's favourite show. Uh, though the logo does not appear on the ticket, but it still says Oceanic. Yeah, uh, at the start of the episode, when she was on the phone, Olivia is talking to Beth about a surprise party for a guy called Bobby. J.J. Um, Abrams' 2008 monster film Cloverfield begins with a surprise going-away party for the main character, Rob, whose best friend in attendance is named Beth. I liked Cloverfield, but I don't think I've ever watched it a second time. I like Cloverfield. I've seen that a couple of times, yeah. I like Cloverfield. The street sign behind where Mark Young fell reads Bell Plaza. Most likely, most likely, Martin, a reference to Massive Dynamics founder William Bell. But it could just be a dink. So, the cipher. The glyphs all spell out the word voice. So we've got the hand, the butterfly, the flower, and two apples. And it's good thing we had the voice. butterfly. But the butterfly that the butterfly was um, we already had the glyph for the butterfly in earlier episodes anyway. So yeah, yeah, but it was good. It was appropriate, but it was here. Yes, for the letter O. After right, this is written as a goof. At the, at the end of the chase, when Morales is hit. By a car and caught, a police officer is visible across the street. The officer just stands watching rather than rushing to the scene. That's because he's an actor, mate. And he's just been told just to stand there. Yep. Yep. So, do, do we have anything else to, to talk about the 
um, for the episode The Dreamscape, Martin. I hope so, because otherwise this is going to be a short one. Well, I'm asking you. <laughs> Do you have anything else to speak about, Martin? No. <laughs> I like that they've sort of pushed things on with massive dynamic and Olivia said that she definitely doesn't want a job with them. And I like to think that they are only offering her a job to get her off their back. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think is ever explicitly spelt out later on. But um, it's good that we've sort of got past that first, you know, ooh, are they good or evil? Oh yeah, they're killing people. What odds? Yeah, but it still isn't sort of definitive that it is them that's doing it, though. No, but it's uh, pretty heavily implied. Yeah, yeah, but it's still no. I mean, I think it is them, but it's still not. It's still not definitively saying it is them. There's still some sort of leeway in there that if they ever decide later on down the line that no massive dynamic aren't evil, then they can just say, "See, see, we didn't say it was them for definite." So there's enough wiggle room. Exactly. But it's definitely them. So, the um, the next episode, Martin, episode 10 of the hit TV show Fringe that we shall be talking about next week is called yes. Safe. Ooh. Um, when a suspect in a bank robbery is found stuck inside a vault wall, the team is called in to investigate. Uh, That's a bit weird, isn't it? It is. Why would they be in a bank vault wall? I don't know. I don't know. Oh. Um, although... Tune in next week, same Fringe Division time, same Fringe Division channel. Exactly. Although, if you are up to date with the episodes of Fringe, then you can pretty much guess what's going on. <laughs> um, I suspect that massive dynamic are at play. Yeah, or Apple. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> not, not Apple, as in the company Apple. Just the scene that we saw a couple of weeks ago regarding an Apple. Might give yes. you a clue as to what this is, but there we go. Which which means that it is continuing on from a former plot, Martin, which is good. I like it when it happens. Yes. So, uh, that's all we have time for. Um, if you'd like to follow the podcast, it's just the one Twitter handle for all my podcasts is at DropThePilotPod. Uh, ShiftyBench.co.uk is the website. Contact us. Visit the Shifty Bench Podcast Network. Yes. Uh, contact at shiftybench.co.uk. You really just want that to be a thing, don't you? Of course, yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> it's the only reason I hang out with you is you had an awesome screen name. Yeah, well, that is true. <laughs> That's the only reason why you hang out with me. Bastard. <laughs> um, yeah. Contact at shiftybench.co.uk is where to send us emails, uh, feedback, talk about the show Fringe. Uh, so, Martin, where can the listeners find you on the internet? At Vifaldo on Twitter. Excellent. Thank you all for listening, and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>